It's great. Hey, uh, you guys look like you were having a good time and excited about being here and worshiping this morning. Is that true? Man, I'm excited to, to be here uh, this morning because uh, I'm excited because this is a, a big weekend. Uh, it's been a big week. The students have started going back to school. Uh, it's been a, a, a big week and, and uh, just across our, our culture, things happening. And, uh, and so we're here to celebrate this morning. You know, that's why this place was created, right? For us to come here on Sundays and celebrate and worship. And uh, let us never, never forget that. And so this morning... Uh, I want to just start off today by asking you, and some of you, I know the answer is going to be, I wasn't even born yet, Rob, what are you talking about? But I want to ask you if you remember where you were in December of 1999. You see, we should have been getting ready for a huge celebration into the new millennium, right? We should have been, that's what we were all planning to do. In fact, a few years earlier, I, was in, I had just come out of seminary and I was in my first church down in South Florida. And three years ahead of this, we had committed as youth pastors, as student ministry organizations to all meet together in 10 different cities across the United States. It was gonna be this really cool event called YouthLink 2000, right? Like, and so they were gonna link all the locations together so we would all be worshiping when the clock struck midnight on December 31st, going into the millennial. It was gonna be, be awesome. But as you know, for those of you who lived it out, like there was this, this fear that, that started coming up as we got closer to, to the turn of the millennium. There, people, experts were selling books on the fact that they didn't know what was going to happen. It's going to be very ominous. We have no idea. And, and the big fear, just to make it simple, the big fear was that the computer chips and every one of our electronics was not going to be able to, to make the switch over to the calendar year and, and things were going to start exploding and, and turning off and shutting down. It was just, it was crazy. It was just this fear. I mean, I mean, people in my community, in my church, yeah, uh, were, were like digging bunkers in their backyard, stocking up on canned foods and vegetables and, and uh, freeze-dried meals. And uh, they're probably just now getting to the end of some of those. But um, man, it was, it was this craziness driven by that fear. <clears throat> and uh, so here I am as a youth pastor. I'm like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to drive. I had, the, I had the vans rented. I had the hotels uh, booked. We were ready to go. And a couple weeks before that trip, man, a parent calls and says, I'm just not sure. I said, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to be fine. And one parent calls another parent. And the next thing you know, they start pressuring uh, my pastor. And he's like, we got to do something. You got to make a decision. And I was like, we're going to be fine, right? Well, you know where this goes, right? Next thing you know, I'm getting getting barrage of emails and phone calls, and next thing you know, the trip is, is canceled. I mean, they, they thought the youth pastor was going to drive their students right into the heart of the apocalypse in, in Tampa, of all places. And uh, so it was canceled. Most groups ended up canceling, not being able to go, just driven out of this fear. And so what did we all do? When the clock struck midnight, December 31st, 1999, we all went out, cranked up our cars. We all looked at our watches checked our phones, everything was still working. We all watched the ball drop like we all do on our TVs that were working just perfectly. But it was all driven by fear. Fear makes us do some crazy things, doesn't it? Now, I know you guys haven't experienced anything like that in the last 18 months. I, I get it. But man, I think about like when, when Jesus was up and he had gathered the disciples together <clears throat> and he was sharing with them what we now call the Great Commission. I, I know that some of these guys... This is right before he ascended. And I know that some of these guys had started to buy into that fear. You see, what was taking place is that their world had become unraveled. Their, their world, what they, what they had experienced, in the, in, unlike the, the, the short season with the master himself, 
Man, their lives were becoming chaotic. Things were seeming out of line, out of order right now. But Jesus is quick. Jesus is quick to remind them that I am speaking with the authority of God the Father. And he gives them this command. Go. It's recorded, it's recorded in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Let's, let's look at it together. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look, this is what the church has commanded us, what we as the church are commanded to do. This is what we as Christ followers are sent out to do. To follow this command. You know, it's kind of like uh, the Great Commission. I liken it to kind of the absolute opposite of this game that we would sometimes play at church lock-ins. Anybody ever been to a, a church lock-in before, a youth group lock-in? Uh, raise your hand, right? I guess a few of you. Well, a lot of you didn't raise your hand, so let me just uh, take this moment to enlighten you of what a lock-in is. <clears throat> so the parents would drop their students off at about 7 or 8 o'clock on a Friday night. And uh, some parents would even like slow down enough just to, to walk in, open the door, make sure there's a, an alive adult inside. They're so excited to get out of the parking lot uh, for the next 12 to 14 hours, you know, uh, dropping off their students. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a guy on the other side, he's the youth pastor, and then in one, uh, one hand he's holding a, a, a two liter of Mountain Dew and a pizza box, and the other he's waving, and the parents think they're waving, he's waving by to them, he's, it's probably a distress signal. Uh, but... So, I mean, there's the, the youth pastor and his team put together this incredible plan, make sure every hour is accounted for and, and everything. And, I mean, let's face it, by 1 o'clock, all the adults are huddled over a coffee pot just in survival mode. I mean, they're just, at this point, they're just praying that, like, you know, that, like, no one dies and that, like, there's not, like, kids making out behind the church maintenance shed, that kind of stuff. And not that it ever happens. But, uh, but anyway, you know, there, there's always, like, some poor kid at the bottom of the uh, stairwell kind of hunched over in the corner sleeping, slice of pizza on his face somewhere. I mean, it's just a night of survival. I'm not much of a lock-in guy. I'm more of a lock-out guy. Like, I would rather go, and, and I would coordinate these things where we would go from, like, 12 to 2 and go go-karting from 2 to 4, go paintballing, and then 4 to 6 do, uh, do bowling or something like that. And I just don't like sitting around watching the clock tick. But one of the games that, that used to be played, maybe you've played this game uh, also in, in your time elsewhere in other arenas, is, is a game called Sardines, uh, which is funny because we just played that this summer. And, uh, and so Sardines is kind of like hide-and-seek, like the opposite of hide-and-seek. And so there's a designated hider, and that person goes and hides, and then everybody tries to go out like in this dark building, right? And they're like searching around looking for this person. And, and unlike hide-and-seek, like when you, if you're the first person who finds this designated hider, you're not the winner. You're the farthest thing from, or you, you, you've won, but you've definitely not losing. The way you lose this game is you'd be the last one to find them. Because the first person, first person to find the designated hider stays with them. And then the third person finds them. They stay quiet until the fourth person becomes. And the reason it's called sardines is because when the first person finds, uh, the, the second person finds that first person, they're supposed to lay down in order. You know, of course, this is church. We're not laying down in the dark. I'm sorry. We're just, we're encouraging clustering. Like, there'll be none of that. Um, but so the last person who, who finds this is the loser. I think about the Great Commission, and I think that the church needs to be the absolute ob, uh, opposite of this. And here's why. We, those of us who have found it, those of us who have found the answer, those of us who have found safe harbor, those of us who have found salvation, we have found, uh, we have found grace, we have found salvation. Man, we have found Jesus. Our goal is not to be as quiet as possible so that others who are still out there trying to find it can't join us. 
We're to be the opposite of that. We are called to be a people that go. But instead of finding, a lot of people are out there searching. They're looking for answers. They're looking for that hope. They're looking for these things in their life that only Jesus can fill. And they're using all the wrong ways and all the wrong things to try and find it. And a lot of times we forget about that they're out there. Listen, our goal is not to see as few people as possible come to where you and I have already discovered the truth. At some point, we are a people that despite our fears, we have been called to go. And we must do just that. And that might be overseas, that might be around the globe somewhere, but it's definitely right across the street. And I feel like we have forgotten that. There's a a story we're going to read this morning in Mark chapter 2. It tells of a man whose story had not yet been finished. And he's one of these guys that's out here that needs to find it. And so we're going we're gonna to read that. Thankfully, someone had compassion upon him. Thankfully, someone got that call, understood that call, and went and acted upon it. If you have your, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to, to Mark chapter 2. I love what Pastor Gus has, has been doing uh, with us and having us stand to read the Word. So I'm going to ask you to, to, to stand as we read God's Word this morning. It says, when Jesus came back, Mark chapter 2, when Jesus came back to Capernaum a few days later, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer space, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And some people came bringing to him a man who was paralyzed, carried by four men. And when they were unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the door, they removed the roof above him, and after digging an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralyzed man was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 10. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up, and he immediately picked up the pallet, and he went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. So these four men have, re- have done three things in this story. That's what I want to point out this morning. The first thing, these four men, they've, they've recognized the sinned. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these guys. We, we aren't told uh, about their history, about their background. Uh, but I started reading Mark chapter 1. I went back through. I said, what could these guys possibly have seen with their own eyes, experienced with Jesus themselves, or heard about that maybe Jesus had done? And so I wanted to highlight a thing. I thought it would be cool to highlight this this morning, thinking, thinking in this context that these guys may have been a part of one of these things already in the days ahead, or the days previous. Verse 21 says, talking about Jesus teaching in the synagogue. Verse 25, Jesus rebukes the the spirit out of a guy. Uh, News about Jesus spread to the whole uh, region of Galilee in verse 28. He heals Peter's mom in verse 31. That probably wasn't their exposure because because that was behind closed doors. He heals diseases, casts out demons at Simon Peter's house in verse 34. He goes to synagogues and neighboring towns preaching, casting out demons. He heals a man of leprosy, and he tells the man, go back and just talk to your local priest. Tell him you've been cleansed. And the man is so excited about his new life that he tells everybody. Verse 41, or verse 45 says, the word spread so widely that he was unable, Jesus was unable to publicly enter cities after that. Now, now here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the reason I point that out. All of these are life-changing stories. All of these people have met Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus, and their life is never going to be the same. Therefore, those stories can't stay hidden. Those stories have to be told. And then I think about these four guys. They must have been a part of that as as we look and we read through 
This they recognized the need of what happened. Look at verse 2. It says, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer space. You know, your story, what God has done in your life and done in my life, that story is not just for you. It's not. That story is for other people. You know, as he impressed upon Isaiah to, to, to preach and proclaim his word, God's spirit impressing upon a man to stand up and preach the gospel. Look at Isaiah 6, it says, verse 8, it says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Is that you? Is that me this morning? You and I are called to go. Listen, if you've come to know Jesus, if you've come to experience and walk in his power, if you've come and, 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 and understood what it meant to know him personally, your story has to be called. You understand that that story is not just for you. You see, the gospel was never meant to be worshipped itself in a vacuum. The gospel itself was never meant to be kept in secret. The very word used here, the, the, the Greek word, euangelion, means good news. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to share good news. Do you guys love to share good news? Man, we live in a world now that you just don't get that a lot. We live in a world now that needs to hear good news. Every news feed, everything starts off with something negative. I love to share good news. And I can't hang on to it. When I get good news, pff, I'm, I'm sharing with everybody. My sons, we do this all the time. My oldest son, James, like when there's a band coming to town, they're going to be playing somewhere locally. Man, both of us are like texting each other like, guess who's coming? Let's go. My younger son, Jack, like if anything happens in the world of baseball, I don't have to wait for an alert from my ESPN. Jack is on it. And man, I get that alert, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. We talk about it, stuff like that. We can't wait to share good news, exciting news. And that's what these guys were doing. They had seen something. They had heard something. We press on. You see, this is their, their, their illustration. What they did was a great picture of us, of what faith in action looks like. You see, we're called to be movers, we're called to, to move people to the gospel or move, uh, move the gospel to people. It's one or the other. And we should always do and be doing one or the other and thinking in those terms. Um, the second thing that they wanted to do was they, they recognized the need. They saw the need in this man. You know, we're given an assignment to step out and to see the needs of other people. And, and a lot of times what will happen is I'll, we'll get so caught up in ourselves, we'll be scrolling through. Man, students, as you walk down the hallways this year during school, Get out of your phones. Look around you. See the need. See where God is calling you to meet the need. Don't, parents, don't just run in and out from your cubicle back to your car at work. Look around you. Look at the needs. Don't just run in and out of the grocery store. Look around you. See people's needs as Jesus would see people's needs. That's who we are. That's who we have called, been called to be, to recognize those needs. And, and your story is, is probably a little bit like mine, that God saw a need in my life, and he changed my life. I found Jesus. It was at, it was at a camp just north of Gainesville, and I found Jesus. I, I grew up in the church. I knew all the right answers. I had professed Christ. I was already a Christian, but man, I didn't catch it. It didn't become my own faith until after I graduated high school in that year. It's one of the worst years of my life. And I found myself at some little podunk camp up just north of Gainesville, God got my attention that night. And man, when I caught it, I caught it. And when I, and when I read this, that we are to go, I mean, I went. There, for the next four years of college, there was nobody safe on UCF's campus. 
Everybody heard it. I was leaving notes and tracks on people's cars. I had a reputation in, in, in our school of communication in my classes as known as Father Rob. Well, let's see what Father Rob has to say about this controversial issue. Well, let's see, what, what, what do you think about that, Father Rob? And so I had to always be like ready to, like, to give an answer. You know, like you walk into college classes, right? And you're not always prepared. You're like barely got there. And, uh, but you had to be prepared, ready to give an answer. And man, when I caught it, I caught it. I think, man, what, what happened to me? I became, I became busy. I'm going to talk about that. Verse, look at verses uh, two through five. This is, this is exciting. It says, And many were gathered together so that there was no longer space, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. So what's happening here is, is Jesus is using the, the Old Testament scriptures and he's teaching them and, 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 he's, and he's teaching them. This is all, this is blowing their mind. This is new teaching to them. And they're thinking, really, is this really God? Who is this? So he's blowing their mind as he's teaching the word to them. Verse three says, And some people came, bringing, him to, bringing to him a man who was paralyzed, carried by four men. Now, before we get to the four, I want you to think about the first few words of that verse. And some people came. You know what I think happened? I believe in my whole heart this is what happened. I think those four guys had experienced one of those things that we pointed out in Mark chapter one. I think that a couple of them had probably seen Jesus heal somebody and knew what that was about. They had also heard his teaching. They all heard what they were supposed to be doing. And so on that day, they were like, hey, we're going to go to Simon Peter's house because Jesus is teaching there. And on their way, they look over and they see this man lying on a mat who is paralyzed. And they're like, wow, I know what I've seen. I know how Jesus can change his life. Let's go. And so they go over and they pick up his, the, the mat. Each one gets a corner and they lift him up and they start to walk away. And what I bet happened is I bet, I bet people in that community are like going, whoa, 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 where are, you, where are you taking this guy? This is where he stays during the day. It's okay. This is where he no, 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 no. Today, we're taking him to go meet Jesus. Today, his life's going to be changed. Today, his life's going to be, uh, just, just the trajectory of his life is going to be changed forever. And I'm sure that person who's asking about that is going like, you know what? Man, I, I want to see what happens. I'm, I, want to see, I want to see what's going to take place here. And I'm sure they, that person dropped what they were doing and, and began to follow these guys. And along the way, people were saying, like, hey, where are you taking the paralyzed man? He's normally down there at 3rd and, and Main. I see him on the way to the market every day. Where's he going? Where are you taking him? Man, we're taking him to, to meet Jesus. That's going to be awesome. Like, let's, let's go see what happens. And I'm sure by the time they rolled up to Simon Peter's front door that they had a gospel police escort getting ready to, to get up there. And, and look what it says. It says, they, <clears throat> I'm sure that they had some fears too. I'm sure that the man was like, what if Jesus rejects me? What if people scoff? What if people make fun of me? And I'm sure the four guys are like, what if we roll all the way up here and this is for no good? What, what if, what if, what if? But they overcame their fears. Look at verse four. It says, and when they were unable to get him to him, meaning Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralyzed man was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, now let's just pause for just one second. Can you imagine how encouraged Jesus' heart was in this moment? I mean, here he is, he's teaching. And you know who was in the front row for this teaching? The scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because they were checking him out. They were investigating. And so instead of causing an issue, Jesus gave them a front row seat to his teaching. And so there's scribes and Pharisees right there in the front row in this house. And Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, like the roof starts shaking and things are happening. He's like, yo, Peter, like tell your roofers this isn't a good time. I got a little something going on here, right? And so he's like, there they are. And he probably just stops and watches this happen and unfold. And the man is lowered down. Right at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says. So not only the scribes and Pharisees get in the front row seat of the teaching, they're now really in the front row. 
And what it says here, I just can't imagine it doesn't encourage Jesus' heart. This is what he says, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Man, that's what it means when Jesus looks at us. It fills that need for forgiveness and salvation. This past summer, we were blessed to have gotten both of our middle school camp at Southeast University and also our high school camp at uh, Elmfuge up in Mobile. We were, we were very blessed to get both of those camps in with everything that was going on uh, with the virus and COVID and stuff. And, um, but when we got to, with our high school group, when we got to Mobile that, that night, that first night, and, and we just started talking about what it was going to be like. We, we kind of rallied the troops, talked about our mission site, talked about what it was going to be like, who are we going to be in contact with, where it was, and all this kinds of stuff. And um, I want you to see, I want you to look at the screen, I want you to, to hear how this went. I think everyone should go to Mfuge. Definitely a great bonding experience for everyone, especially because not everyone knew each other. To watch how they were strangers on Sunday to become family by Friday and Saturday, it was the coolest thing. I didn't even know most of these people when we first started, and now I'm hanging out with them every day and growing my faith with them with God. It makes it feel like, oh, it's a family road trip and stuff. And everybody just connected so well, and it was so much fun. It was a blessing to watch these students come together as basically a family. A normal day at camp was waking up super early, going to breakfast in the dining hall, and then worshiping right away. Watching them worship at camp is a little bit different than watching them worship on a weekly basis. They don't have the distraction of thinking about what it's going to be like when they get home or what's waiting for them on their phone. They just totally give up everything and let their minds and hearts fully be in the moment of worshiping God. It felt bad at first not having your phone because I didn't get to talk to my friends, but then it just made me feel like better just getting to escape from the negativity. And I realized when I got back home, I didn't want to be on my phone. And then we went to our sites and our site was called Light of the Village. And it was basically a summer camp for kids in the inner city neighborhoods. My favorite part about Mfuge was definitely going and getting to know the kids at missions. The kids were just the best part. Within the first 20 seconds, everybody was all over you and super excited to see you. They were playing with like this huge parachute and they like locked eyes with us and they all just started screaming for us to come over and just join them and they were giving us handles and they were just so excited to see us even though they had no idea who we were. It just brings about a lot of perspective change for everyone. Um, going to these communities and cities not that different from ours um, and seeing how, how selfless these kids are. Some of these kids come from really difficult backgrounds and they still have so much joy. Just seeing them being so strong really taught me that like I should do that too. The best thing about it is that it provides a training ground for all of our students as far as understanding what it's like to go into a new place where you don't know anybody and having sharing the gospel be your first and only priority. That was awesome to see as a leader. Kids not hesitant to speak to kids about who Jesus is and what the gospel story is. Matthew 28 says that we need to go. 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 That we need to go. We need to go out and share the gospel. And make disciples of all nations. That's what we were put on this earth uh, to do, was to spread the word. Christians as a whole, we're just like a huge family and stuff. And we want to increase the amount of people that we have and increase the amount of people that we can save. The more you share, then the more people end up in heaven and have eternal life. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't be helping save people. 
we wouldn't be doing our jobs as Christians. If we experience Jesus' love, others should too, and we feel his forgiveness and be able to have like a safety place with, with his love, like a father. You could be somebody's only outlet to God, and that way they can make their own relationship with God through you. There are so many reasons why we need to go, and an Enfuge is a perfect picture of what it looks like to go. Amen. What a great, uh, yeah, what a great opportunity. You know, uh, that morning of the first day that we went to our, that mission site, uh, they showed us a training video talking about that neighborhood, talking about that area. Uh, our mission site uh, contact was there also talking to us about what to expect. And uh, man, I mean, after watching that video and hearing from him, I saw just this look come over our students. And I was like, oh man, I leaned over one of our leaders and said, I'm, already, I'm, I'm so glad that we've already taken up their phones because someone might be wanting to call home at this moment. And I was waiting, I was waiting for our students to come up and say, Rob, is this, is this gonna be okay? Is this safe? Are we gonna be all right? But man, they did not flinch. They didn't flinch. Not one person asked anything about and, and acted fearful of anything. You know, at some point we have to decide for ourselves. When we think about this call, we are either gonna be paralyzed by our fear or mobilized by our faith. We have to choose which one that's going to be. You know, I, I think there's also something bonding. You heard about the bonding that took place on this trip. I, I think there's something, something bonding as brothers and sisters in Christ when we all pick up a corner of the mat together. And some of that, some of that may be like physically, literally having to do this. Some may be on the back corner, which means you're on your knees, you're praying for mobilization of missions, for mobilization of evangelism to take place. Either way, it's, it's bonding when we all do it together. And just when you think this story can't get any better, it does. The third thing is this, that these guys remember the call. I think about this, uh, I think about this quote from Corey Ten Boom. In her book, The Hiding Place, she said, I can trust an unknown future because I have a known God. Man. These guys remember the call. Because of their faith, this man's life was changed forever. Look at verse 10. It says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, the authority from God, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and to do what? Go. Jesus said, go. He didn't say, hey, hang around. He said, pick it up, start walking, and go. Why? Because now his, he has a story that has to be told. He now has a life change story that's got to be shared with other people. You and I have that same life change story in us. We have to go. We have to remember the call. He goes on, verse 12, he says, <clears throat> says he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out inside of everyone. Everyone meaning the scribes, the Pharisees, and everybody that was in earshot of that. And in front of everyone, they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Think about this. If after on Sundays, after we're all leaving church, we're all headed to the parking lot, and we're looking at each other going, man, we have never experienced anything like that before. Because why? Because we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has come in, that Jesus is changing and transforming lives. And we're coming here on Sundays and Saturdays, and we're coming here throughout the week, and we're celebrating the fact that Jesus still transforms lives. Amen? That is what we are called as a church to do. D.L. Moody said, we are told, we are told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody that it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention 
to their shining. They just shine. We've been called not to stay. We've been called to go. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The verse that we're praying over all of our students as they walk back on campuses and back into learning environments this year is Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. It's not about the words that I'm saying, it's the power of God. It's not my job to convert people. All, my, all I got to do is show up. All I got to do is go over and grab a corner and get someone in front of the good news. Man, these guys could have given up. You realize that? I mean, it was a good deed just taking this guy to Simon Peter's house that day. And they, they could have grabbed a, a corner of that mat and said, you know what we got here? It's too hard to get in. It's too, we, we just know we were pushing our way through there. Man, we, we tried. But man, a persistence took over. A boldness took over. A courage took over. Like they had never seen, like they had never, they were, they were called, their faith was calling them to action. And so they did. Fun fact, based on what, what Peter uh, did for a living, this was a one-story, this was a one-story house. And they used their roofs back then, like you and I use our front yard. And so they would go up, maybe at night, they would go up in there and relax. In the coolness of the night, it was a lot cooler than inside the house. That, I'm saying that because there were no stairways on the outside of those homes to get to the top, to get to the roof. The stairways were probably maybe on the inside. We're not told how those guys got up, but we know 100% that they were persistent. Nothing was stopping them from getting that man in front of the good news that day. They may have gone through the neighbor's house and stepped across onto Peter's roof. We're not told, but their boldness, their courage, their persistence. Because we have to realize one thing. You and I, we sometimes make excuses for getting people in front of the gospel we're getting the gospel in front of people. One of two things we have to decide. Is Jesus a part of our life or is Jesus our life? Because if Jesus is, is, a, is a part of our life, man, we go to church on Sundays, we go to, go to church on, on Wednesdays and we check that off. And if Jesus is a part of our life, then he gets penciled on our calendar like soccer practice, cheerleading, and guitar lessons. But if Jesus is our life, then our calendar takes on a whole new look. Suddenly, we're not, we're not trying to cram a conversation about the gospel. Suddenly, we're not having to, suddenly, it's no problem carving out a time to pick up a corner of someone's mat and bringing them to the feet of Jesus. It just looks different. And that's what we have been called to. From the beginning, from the Great Commission, and like I said, whether it's around the world or whether it's across the street or in our schools, that's what we are called to do. Schools is one of our greatest and most difficult mission fields here in 2021. Guys like myself right now, Chris Storms, who's on staff with Young Life, we've, we've just been told recently we can't get on campus just because of COVID protocols right now. We've, we've, been, we've been told we can't be on campus. All I'm trying to do is get on there and make some contacts with some, some football coaches so we can start stepping into some of these sports teams and, and build relationships with them. We, we can't get on campus right now. But you know who can? Our, our parents and families sitting out here who are interacting with the school system, who are interacting with these, with these teachers. You know, you know who else is on there? 
our teachers and administrators, they're on that campus in the front lines every day. And in the trenches are our students five days a week. And we have to pray for them.